It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome, everyone, to Kids A to Z with Dr. T. I am your host, Teresa Signorelli, and we are bringing you information about the five areas of child development and by that we mean physical intellectual social emotional emotional and moral so parents can empower their children to thrive and today we have a brains and toyland segment and we are calling it storybook yoga books and yoga for great bodies and brains and We'll be giving you, I think, a nice example of how you can really promote physical, intellectual, and social-emotional development in your children with this one activity. And we have Dr. Susie Letterer here with us, and she is a speech-language pathologist and associate professor in the Communication Sciences and Disorders Department at Adelphi University um, in New York. And she's going to share this uh, really great information with us, and she's an expert um, as a speech-language pathologist in speech and language disorders and development in children. And she's also um, has expertise in emergent literacy, pretend play, and yoga for children. And she's well-published in these areas in both the academic arenas and for the popular media as well. And so while she does research and presents to um, her colleagues and fellow scientists, she also does a really nice job translating what she knows into um, information that's usable and digestible for parents so they can empower their children um, in their development. So one of the publications that she's done includes a book called I Can Do That, and that's from Dynamic Resources, and that's for parents. And she also has a CD called Storybook Yoga from Educational Activities. And that's what we're going to focus on today is her Storybook Yoga CD. So hi, Susie. Welcome. Hi, Teresa. Dr. T. Hi, how are you? So I just gave a little bit of a background on who you are, but maybe you can fill in a little bit and tell us who you are and what you do and perhaps explain that yoga connection because people might not understand why a speech-language pathologist um, can um, be an authority on yoga. Well, you did a wonderful job of summing up over 30 years of my professional career, but I would add in that there is also the personal side in terms of my whole life where I was exposed to yoga as a very young child. My mom, amazingly enough, she's in her 80s. I hope she's not listening. I'll be in big trouble <laughs> telling her age. But she um, she practiced yoga when we were children, and she brought some of the guided imagery to help us sleep, and she challenged us to try poses that she was learning in her classes so my my exposure to yoga goes back a very long time, and um, my my expertise is in very young children, helping young children learn to talk and read. And so I've been immersed in the world of storybooks and reading to children and all the research, um, both for kids developing typically and for kids who have some special challenges, who are maybe late to talk or other um, communication disorders. And... Um, so this love of yoga 
that has been part of me my whole life. I personally have been practicing for 30 years. Um, and my love of books and language and communication came together when I um, took a certification class in teaching yoga to kids. And I was exposed to this idea of integrating books and yoga, and my whole life came together kind of in that moment. And that's how we got where we are today. Okay. Very good. So we often begin the show by asking our guests about what they wish parents or caregivers knew um, what they knew as experts, um, but they find that parents often don't know. And we're here to talk about your CD um, called Storybook Yoga. So what is it about yoga and story time that you think would be important for your audience to know more about? Well, I think we'll start with what everyone does know. Everyone knows that reading together with children is a very powerful activity. It helps children in the present learn new vocabulary words, learn how sentences combine to tell stories, and it helps them get ready to learn to read when it is their time. So we all know that. What, um, you know, so we know that shared book reading fosters language development, vocabulary, taking turns in conversation. I turn the page, you turn the page, things like that. You know, or books where, you know, the character says, he, he said something, and then another character says she said something, okay? So we learn a lot about language. We learn a lot about books. What is a book? How do you open a book? How do you turn the pages? We read from left to right. We read from top to bottom, at least in our language and in our culture. Um, but what maybe the audience is not as well aware of or has sort of some knowledge of this, but I want to make this one of our themes for today, is there's a difference between reading to children, and reading with children. So that, you know, obviously we can imagine sitting down in a rocking chair in the evening and reading a book to kids, and that's a great thing. And we're probably already engaging kids in the story by having them point to pictures or stopping to ask questions. That's great. That's a fabulous um, technique. It's called dialogic reading, and it helps kids develop their skills. But we want to take that one step further to look at opportunities within books to really be interactive so that, for example, when we were kids, there was a famous book, Pat the Bunny, right? And you could, right. you could touch the, you know, how it was furry and you could see yourself in the mirror, okay? So, and, or lift the flat books, which are still very popular, you know, so now the kids are really getting involved. And then you have books where they can get further involved, like Eric Carl's From Head to Toe, where, you know, I am a I am a giraffe and I bend my neck. Can you do that? I can do that. And the kids now are bending their neck. So this this engagement in the reading, in the shared book reading, really brings the concepts that they're learning to life and makes it more fun and keeps them fully present instead of their minds drifting off to something else or being done with the book by the time you're on page three. So storybook yoga really was um, developed to take advantage of what we know, which has to do with experiential learning. And so with storybook yoga, as we read and we come, for example, to a dog, we're going to put down the book and we're going to practice the dog pose. 
And so now we have this physical development that we're nurturing. We have the language and literacy and thinking, cognitive development we're nurturing. And in a little while, we'll talk about social and emotional development that gets nurtured, nurtured too. So the idea is that we're learning by doing and not just being, you know, by listening. Right. So I think you've touched upon this a little bit, um, but if you can talk more about what inspired you to combine story time, book reading, storytelling with yoga, and maybe maybe mentioning, uh, I mean, you had mentioned your background with yoga, um, but um, I know there's... Um, organizations like the National Association for Education of Young Children that have thoughts about how we interact with children. Can you talk about that a little bit? Surely. So um, I did give you my background and how I came to it, but as a researcher and as a professor at a university, um, I'm very involved not only in our research literature, but also in the best practice guidelines that are being published by these national organizations that are really charged with helping all of the professionals that work with young kids come up with the best practices. So, for example, in the American in, in speech language pathology, we have the American Speech and Hearing Association, and they tell us what's best practice. Um, in early childhood, there's an organization called NACI that stands for the National Association for the Education of Young Children, and they're really interested in education for kids birth to eight, okay? And they, in, uh, in 2009, published a document which is guidelines for best practices. And um, I just I took out some of the key points from their practice guidelines because I think they really do support the ra- you know provide the rationales for why storybook yoga is in fact not only something that I think is good but is um, aligned with best practices. So what NACI says, and this is a quote, they say all domains of development and learning are interrelated. Development and learning in one domain influence and are influenced by what takes place in other domains. So basically they're saying that, you know, kids don't develop, for example, their language skills in a vacuum or their physical skills in a vacuum. They are experiencing all of these um, all together, and they're learning. One one supports the learning of the other. So, for example, you know, if I'm doing something like doing a puzzle, which supports my fine motor development, I'm looking at what I'm putting, you know, that it's a dog I'm putting into the puzzle, which supports my language development. And maybe I'm doing it with um, a friend and we're taking turns that supports my social development. Or maybe my friend is helping me. That's emotional development. So we have this whole child perspective that I really feel so strongly about. I'm always reminding my students that, you know, you can't just work on speech and language because you're working with a whole person who's part of a whole family. What NACI also says is that we should create learning experiences for each of the domains separately but also we should be creating learning experiences that, again, enrich all of the domains at the same time, so physical, cognitive, social, and emotional. And the last thing that they say that I love that also informed the storybook yoga practice is that we should offer kids extended blocks of time 
to, and these are their words, investigate, explore, and interact. So I once did a workshop on storybook yoga at a nursery school, and um, the funniest thing that somebody said to me was, she goes, oh, good, finally, we can make storybook last longer on a rainy day, you know? So (laughs) my point was, yes, you know, you shouldn't really be rushing through story time any day, whether it's sunny or rainy, because there's so many opportunities to nurture the whole child. And so a typical storybook yoga lesson can take as long as you choose. You know, if you want it to be 15 minutes, it could be 15 minutes. If you want it to be 45 minutes or an hour, it could be that too. And so I love this idea of this extended block of time to really dive into the story, to move through the story, to enact the story, if you will, um, to have these opportunities to learn in all of our domains of learning. Right, right. And that's it's a nice fit with the show because that's what we're looking to do is address all these areas of development because they do influence each other. Uh, and that's what I found very appealing about your storybook yoga. So, Thank you. We, yeah. <laughs> so we see that it is important to consider all these different domains of development and how they interact and how they're interrelated. So when when you were looking to combine a cognitive activity or an intellectual activity like language and literacy with a physical activity, why was it yoga that you chose relative that you chose relative to other types of physical activities? Well, that's a great question because I think that yoga is um perceived mostly by the mainstream as being just another kind of exercise. So, you know, you go to your gym and you could choose Pilates or you could choose a step class or you could choose Zumba or you could choose yoga. And the truth of the matter is that yoga is not just a physical practice. Yoga is a a way of living. It's a path to well-being. And um, yoga actually was first practiced at least as best as we could tell 5,000 years ago. And the physical postures of yoga were not really the way that yoga started. It was much more of a meditative practice um, in, in sitting and breathing. And so um, it has evolved really way beyond its original roots to being just a physical practice. And now I see, even in the classes that I'm taking, um, bringing back the the um, the idea that it's not just about, you know, an exercise class. And that's what's really interesting about yoga. So yoga actually means union. So yoga is a Sanskrit word. That's the ancient language of India. And it means union. And so people typically say it's a practice that integrates um, body, mind, and spirit. What I tell young children is that it's a practice that's the union of three Bs, bodies, brains, and being. And by the way, as a speech pathologist, that's a good emergent literacy activity to Mm -hmm. use the letter B and to hear them hear the B in bodies, brain, and being. So I'm always thinking, what else can I do for these kids, not just teach them about yoga or teach them, you know, about language, but how can we put them together? So there are different styles of yoga, um, and many of the listeners may practice one or another style, um, but that's irrelevant. What's relevant is that in yoga, we move 
to the breath. So we're linking breathing with moving. And by having this conscious attention to the breath and linking the breath to movement, we've taken the physical postures um, to the next level, which now it becomes a much more emotional um, practice. Okay. In fact, there was a really interesting research study where they compared yoga and aerobics, and they said that the benefits to the brain of yoga were far superior in terms of attention, for example, than aerobics. So we know that it's not just about doing exercise, you know. Um, right. So it's it's a practice. It's a way of life. I will tell the listeners that one of the things that I find is so interesting about yoga as well is that the research on yoga is exploding so that there's even funding millions of dollars of funding coming out of the National Institute of Health in Washington to fund yoga, and they're finding that yoga is beneficial to reduce pain, um, you know, in, in people with cancer, stress, anxiety, ADHD symptoms, um, you know, crazy menopause, all kinds of irritable bowel, you name it, and there are researchers out there who are looking at this. And at the same time, we have neuroscientists looking at the brain. So the Dalai Lama has been sending some of his best monks, for example, who meditate and practice um, to have their brain scanned. And they're seeing all kinds of really cool changes in the brain in terms of areas that really support our well-being and good decision-making and, you know, um, calm growing in the brain and areas that maybe... um, you know, don't need to be as active all the time, reducing in size. So it's really incredible. And and brain wave studies are showing how um, the practice of yoga increases attention. And it's it's really really fabulous to see all of this yoga because it supports why we should. Your question was why yoga instead of some other exercise. Here's some of the answers. Yeah, that's absolutely fascinating and um, very encouraging. And I'm hoping that um, I would love to see yoga <laughs> in early edu- um, educational programs with early um, in in children's lives very early. It sounds like it could really mitigate a lot of problems um, if there are going to be problems, and if there aren't, it could just um, help that child get to a higher level of productivity and functioning. It- um, starting you know it is starting every time i mention something about yoga somebody tells me oh my daughter's doing yoga in her preschool she comes home and shows me poses um so it is beginning to be embraced there's there's many more organizations than there were even you know a handful of years ago there are whole studios now devoted just to children in new york city there's little flower yoga there's karma kids yoga in california there's next generation yoga so, you know, it, it's really moving in that direction. There are um, people beginning to study it, which was really great. There was an article in 2013 where they went into um, two preschool classrooms, and one preschool practiced yoga all year, and the other preschool classroom had business as usual, and they looked at the effects on um what they call executive functions or the ready-to-learn functions like paying attention and concentrating and being able to 
kind of resist the temptation, so it's called inhibition, not doing something that's your first reaction to do, but kind of waiting and doing something else, and being able to, you know, change from doing something to something else. And they really had amazing results that suggest that this yoga practice in the preschool was really effective in helping kids be prepared to learn, you know. So it's very, very exciting. <laughs> no, it, it really is, and it, it kind of leads into my next question for you, which I think you've partly answered, um, but maybe you have more about that connection between yoga and cognitive or really intellectual development. Um, is there anything else you could add there? Well, yes. First of all, you know, we all know cognition is thinking, okay, but it's also communicating those thoughts through words and action and art and however else we want to tell the world what we're thinking about, Okay. In terms of my practice as a speech-language pathologist and my practice as a storybook yoga teacher, I'm, I'm particularly interested in three main areas. I'm interested in this executive function, which I just mentioned, that has to do with attention, cognitive flexibility, and inhibition, which I, I just described. I'm interested, obviously, in language and literacy because I'm a speech-language pathologist, and I'm also very interested in pretend play. So um, <clears throat> language or words are just symbols, right? You and I agree to call this thing that we're talking on a telephone. And in another language, in Spanish, they call it telefono. But everybody has an agreement that a word relates to a thing or an event or a concept, right? So that's called a symbol. When kids pretend play, they are actually practicing understanding symbols, which we need for language and for reading. So that if I am pretending to be the mommy and I pick up a little mini toy of a bottle and I give it to my doll, I'm pretending... You know, I'm using the symbol system to say this is not really a doll, this is the baby. And this is not really a toy, this is a real bottle, okay? And this is really very important, sophisticated thinking that kids travel the path from, like, when they first start talking until they're in, like, kindergarten, where now they're playing doctor, right? And there's all kinds of stuff going on in terms of symbols and, you know, represent one thing representing another. I'm representing the doctor. You are representing the patient. So um, in addition to yoga, um, helping nurture those ready-to-learn executive functions and language and literacy, for example, we can help develop vocabulary, both in English, what's a snake, what's a cobra, and in Sanskrit, bujangasan. You know, so as the kids get older, you can start introducing words in another language, which is really kind of cool, right? Mm -hmm. um, we're helping the kids grow uh, in terms of cognition. I also want to say that I have read very closely the New York State pre-kindergarten Foundations for the Common Core, and I'm certain that other states must have similar documents, and I'm certain that they all must say the, say the same thing because the ready-to-learn things that you need in pre-K to, to go to school and get ready for the Common Core, you know, the Common Core is national. So, for example, in communication, um, language, and literacy, the Common Core has a science goal that says kids will learn the names of animals and natural wonders. 
so here we are with storybook yoga nurturing the science goal, for example. You know, the literacy goal says that children should learn to understand stories and should be able to tell stories. Well, that's what we're doing with storybook yoga. Um, In terms of cognition and knowledge of the world, they talk about this whole idea of, of creative arts and dramatic place. So pretending to be animals, traveling to distant lands. We're not going to have time today to talk about that kind of a yoga class, but you can pretend I've taken kids to Costa Rica, to the rainforest, or to Egypt, where we've done the triangle pose to represent the pyramids, things like that. This is all fabulous for helping kids develop their thinking skills, their creative skills, their language skills, their pretend skills, their memory skills, all the things that, you know, we know contribute to healthy development of the whole child. Yeah, that is a lot. (laughs) That is good. (laughs) So so maybe you can talk a little bit more about um, the impact on emotional development and social development, so talking even further about that full child. Okay, so we've already talked about how we're going to use storybook yoga to nurture cognitive development. And by the way, obviously, and and we're not really talking about this in any detail, but clearly we're nurturing their physical development as well. So I just don't Mm -hmm. want to forget that. But, you know, yoga poses help develop strength. They help develop flexibility. They help develop balance. They help develop body awareness. Where is my body in space? You know, some of our kids who have different kinds of physical disabilities, they don't really, you know, have a good sense of where their bodies are in space. They don't really have a good sense of their bodies in general. So, you know, um, I just wanted to put that in that, you know, we didn't really address physical development, but obviously that's happening. In terms of social and emotional development, the real key here is the breath. So remember I said we're going to link breath to movement, okay? One of the things that I teach children, and this comes from Yoga Kids, which is a certification program um, that has been around for a very long time, and they have some nice videos on YouTube um, for, for parents who are not familiar with yoga and want to do something, a little something with their kids. That would be a nice thing to just, you know, YouTube, Google it. Um, is what your, uh, Marcia Wenig calls take five breathing. So take five actually has a double meaning. One is that we're going to take five breaths on the inhale, five counts on the inhale, and five counts on the exhale. But we also know as take five as being a timeout. So it's great to teach kids both meanings of take five breathing. But the idea of take five breathing is that we are slowing the breath down, five full counts on the inhale and five full counts on the exhale through the nose. This we know from a physiology perspective is extremely calming. Um, You know, even from cliches of, you know, count to ten before you do anything, that was meant to slow us down. But we even say instinctively, okay, take a deep breath before you're going to respond to somebody, before you're going to speak in front of an audience, before you're going to do something where you feel like you need to steady yourself, right, or calm yourself. So this take five breathing I use throughout to help the kids calm, 
to help the kids focus, okay? So we could be doing something very fun, and I'm going to describe later how we can put some poses together to music, and we can make it really fun. And then, you know, you got to bring the kids back down again so that they're ready to listen to the rest of the story. So, you know what? I thought maybe we would try Take Five Breathing. Do you want to try it, Teresa? Sure. Okay. So... You're going to first exhale all of the air out through your nose. And to the count of five, inhale slowly. One, two, three, four, five. Exhale, five, four, three, two, one. Do it on your own. Inhale. Exhale. I feel a lot more calm and focused. And that was crazy, right? You did it for two rounds. So So simple, but so powerful. I start every class, you know, whether I'm one-to-one with a niece or a nephew or whether or not I'm teaching a class of children, we sit first, we make sure we're sitting comfortably, and we begin with take five breathing. And we do a couple of rounds, and then we're ready to start storybook yoga. And as we proceed through the book, each time we get ready to do a pose, we do some breathing. We do our pose or a sequence of poses. We then sit and breathe again so we're ready to listen to the rest of the story or, you know, for that part of the story till we come to another pose. Right. And so, how many um, how many cycles do you usually do of the take five? Um, I really read the child and I see how many I can get. You know, I would love to get three. Okay. Um, and I love the idea of, um, you know, we do it together and then I say now you do it on your own because you want kids to start to develop the independent skill to take five. Sometimes I'll have them count on their fingers. You know, um, sometimes I use, you know, the Hoberman sphere, that science toy that's like a ball and it it expands really big and then it contracts really small to show them. lots of joints. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or Mm -hmm. put your hands on your belly and your belly expands and fills with fresh oxygen and then it contracts, you know, and you're you're expelling... Mm carbon dioxide so we do a little science if they're you know of of age to talk about that the you know the um the air that we no longer need but the plants and the trees do you know Mm -hmm. and then they take in the oxygen they take in the carbon dioxide and they give us back oxygen but again back to the pre-k common core standards so in terms of emotional development we are supposed to be nurturing self-regulation so learning how to wait your turn to maybe ring a bell or to to pick a picture or to turn the page, right? We're supposed to be nurturing self-concept and self-awareness, so body awareness. Um, in terms of social development, I just want to talk about that a little bit. The Common Core says that kids need to be accountable. This is an important um, attainment in the preschool years, and that means following rules and routines. So storybook yoga is a very systematic approach so that you roll out your mat, you sit on your mat, we breathe, we practice storybook yoga, we relax, 
we roll up our mats, we put it away. So we learn these routines, okay? Um, we learn relationships and cooperation, which is another social skill that, that the Common Core is, is interested in. So, for example, I might do uh, put two kids together and do a partner pose or... Um, for example, a group pose, like let's say we're going to do the tree pose, which is a balancing pose where you just put your foot, you turn your knee out to the right, and you put your foot into your inner thigh, and you try to balance, right? This is called the tree pose. And um, next, I may have all the children standing in a circle holding hands, or I may be just opposite one child holding hands, and now we're a forest. So this develops social skills as well, right? And at the mm-hmm. end of every class, we put our hands together and we bow and say namaste, which is a Sanskrit greeting. It means hello, it means goodbye, it means peace. But really, it means I see what's special in you, and you see what's special in me. Therefore, we're all special. And I think that's a beautiful way to also nurture relationships and cooperation and kindness, which is all really you know, what we want to do for kids. We don't only want to teach them, you know, how to read and write, but we want to teach them, help them learn how to be good people. Yes. So let's let's talk a little more specifically about storybook yoga so we can see how we can um, accomplish all these great things you've, you've just mentioned. And so we're seeing that yoga, as we mentioned earlier, is really becoming more popular. Um, we see it in studios and gyms and schools, um, but not – maybe not as many parents and teachers are trained in it or skilled in it as they might like to be. So can you talk to that point perhaps and talk to us about what skills an adult would need to go through this with, to go through storybook yoga with a child if they're not an expert in yoga? Okay, so first of all, yoga very interesting. I bet more and more people really do have some familiarity with it, more so than if we were having this conversation even five years ago. It's the fastest growing sport in the United States. And I put sports in quotations, but that's definite, that's something that I read in the research. 20 million people are practicing yoga right now, which is crazy, and growing every single day. People every single day come into my class, and it's their first class. They want to try it, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, Every studio is offering yoga teacher training, and there are studios who are offering kids teacher training. But this is what I need the audience to know. At the current time, these certifications for kids are not required. You don't have to be a certified kids yoga instructor to teach yoga to children. Okay, um, it may come to pass that ultimately there is some sort of certification requirement, but it doesn't exist right now. So the, the the certification that I did was really just two weekend classes that I took with somebody who knew more than I did, you know. Um, but anyone can become familiar with yoga. You can take a beginner class yourself if you've never taken it. You can get a video out of the library. There's beginner videos on YouTube. They're 15 minutes. They're 20 minutes, an hour. You can type, you know, you know how the search engines go. You could type in 15-minute beginner class, and you're going to get exactly what you're looking for. There are, you know, you can go online and get pictures of popular poses. There are box sets of cards with pictures of poses specifically for kids. So you can just look at the card and it has a picture, and on the back it has a description of how you do the pose. Um, 
There are books, for example, my mentor, Jody Commodore, wrote The Complete Idiot's Guide to Yoga for Kids. Mm. So that's really a nice resource that, you know, I thought that the audience might be interested in hearing yeah. about. So there's lots of things that you can do to become familiar. Um, there are some books, actually, that are really nice. I was going to talk about it a little bit later, but I'll mention it here. For example, Baron Baptiste wrote a book called My Daddy is a Pretzel. And what's really cool about this book is that it is already a storybook, and the kids are sitting around and they're talking about what their parents do for a living. And, for example, a parent says, my mommy's a veterinarian. And the kids all get up and practice the dog pose. So the picture of the dog pose is there. How you do the dog pose, breaking it down, do this first, do this second, do this third, right, is all in the book and all pictured in the book. Nice. So that's a very, very nice way to get started with storybook yoga to have somebody guide you, you know, and all you have to do is read the book. And yeah, and it, it sounds like it's very accessible, that if you don't know the poses, um, you can get that information and bring yourself fairly up to speed um, oh, with easily. it. Yeah, easily. yeah. And actually, another nice feature, I think, is how families can select their own books to use with your CD. Um, oh, totally. And so, so maybe talk about that. Um, how does a parent or a caregiver go about choosing a book to use with storybook with the storybook yoga CD? And perhaps you can follow up with how do you select a pose, and maybe how do you select music as well? Okay, so so the first thing we need to do, as you said, is we have to choose a book. Okay, so there's a there's a couple of guidelines that um, uh, will help you choose a book that will work successfully. First of all, I already mentioned that there are books where yoga is already embedded. My Daddy is a Pretzel is one. There is Babar's Yoga for Elephant, where he goes on travels and he practices yoga. And again, Babar is demonstrating the poses, which is really very, very nice. Um, there are ABC yoga books. The problem with those is that doing 26 poses is really, I think, too much for young children. But again, you know, those are available. What you want to do is you want to pick books that are not storybooks, so they're not telling a story, a typical story, you know, you meet the characters, there's a problem, there's a resolution, okay? That's not what you're looking for. What you're looking for are those kinds of books, for example, counting books or, uh, or um, illustrated songs or repetitive books where it's not about the story because we're going to keep stopping to do yoga, so we don't want the kids to lose their train of thought. So, for example, a, books like Dear Zoo. I wrote to the zoo to ask for a pet. They sent me a camel, but he was too bumpy, so I sent him back. You know, next they sent me a giraffe, but he was too tall. I sent him back. Next they sent, right, where mm -hmm. it doesn't, it's not about the story it's about each page is telling you something that, you know, is fun. And then you can put the book down and you can practice yoga. It looked like spilt milk. Sometimes it looked like spilt milk, but it wasn't spilt milk. Sometimes it looked like um, uh, an ice cream cone, but it wasn't an ice cream cone. Sometimes it looked like a mitten, but right? So mm -hmm. that when you can find those kinds of books, brown bear, chicken soup with rice, I love chicken soup with rice yoga. It's fun. Um, you know, where there's animals or there's natural wonders, that's where you want to start. 
okay? I also like books that have universal yogic themes kind of about peace and kindness. So one of my favorite, favorite authors is Todd Parr, P-A-R-R. So he's written the Peace Book, and he's written the Feel Good Book. The Feel Good Book makes a great yoga session. I've done that with professional audiences of 150 people. Can you picture 150 adults practicing storybook yoga to the Feel Good Book? Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's really, really fun. Um, And so those are the kinds of books you're looking for. And then once you find those books, you're looking for, um, you know, you're looking page to page. Okay, here's a fish. We can do the fish pose. Okay, here's the tree. We could do the tree pose. Okay, here's the sun. We could do the sun dance. Um, And we want to mix it up. So we want to be able to do a standing pose and a sitting pose and a balancing pose. We might want to do a strong pose or a flexibility pose, right? And then there are some animals that actually um, the poses are breath, special kind of breaths. So, for example, the lion is a breath and the bumblebee is a breath. Okay, so, you know, the more that you can learn about the different poses, and again, those yoga, you know, the the box of cards is great, um, the easier it is to find books. But here's the cool thing about storybook yoga. If you don't know what the pose is, you could make it up. As long as you're mm-hmm. linking the breath to the movement, it doesn't really matter. It's kind of right. like the difference between using American Sign Language and baby signs. <laughs> it doesn't right. really matter what the, what it looks like as long as it's safe and as long as you're linking the breath to the movement. So can you be a little more explicit and maybe give us an example of two or two of what you mean, um, or what we would see or what we would be doing with our children as we go through the Storybook Yoga CD? Okay. So let's say we choose um, Dear Zoo. Okay. So that's going to be the book for today. So first we're going to roll out our mats. And by the way, you don't have to buy a yoga mat, but they're cheap at Marshalls. (laughs) Um, But you can use a big beach towel or something. You know, you just want to delineate the space. Sometimes kids don't really know where their space is, so that's good for them to know this is my home base, you know. Um, And we are going to begin by sitting comfortably with our back straight. So, you know, I may have them inhale and lift your shoulders and exhale, drop your shoulders, inhale and exhale, drop your shoulders, right? So now we're sitting nice and tall, okay? And we're going to close our eyes. Maybe first we'll do it open and we'll do take five breathing with our eyes open so the kids can see me count to five on my fingers. Then we'll close our eyes and we'll do some more take five breathing. And this is how we get settled. Now we're ready to start. Okay, so we are going. I'm going to introduce the book just like any other shared book reading class, right? Today's story is Dear Zoo. That's the title. Okay, so I'm teaching some book concepts, right? Remember, I'm still a speech pathologist and a kids' yoga instructor. And it was written by Rod Campbell, he's the author, he's the person who wrote the book. Okay, and now what I'm going to do first is I am going to have the kids move through, like, or get ready to read yoga vinyasa. So vinyasa means flow. So that's linking one pose to another. So, for example, on the CD, 
I use the song um, Music by Mar. It's time to read. So she sings, it's time to read. Let's get a book. It's time to read. Let's get a book. So the kids are sitting with their knees up and they're tapping their toes. And over the music, I am narrating. This is one of the nice things, again, about this CD is that you don't have to know what you're doing at all. The yoga poses and the narrations are explained to the children. There's a practice sequence, and then you put the music on, and then they can do it. So you're going to open your knees to the side. This is called the butterfly pose, but I tell them they're opening the page, you know, they're opening the book. And then they're going to turn and look over one shoulder. That's a yoga twist, which is very good for squeezing your internal organs. Okay, but I say they're turning their pages. And then we look forward and we look over the other shoulder to turn the page again. And we look forward and then we close our knees, so we're closing our book. So we start with this book vinyasa, okay? And we're linking these little poses together and we're doing it to music and we're linking the breathing and now we're really ready to read. Okay, so then we start reading the story and we come to the part in the story where the zoo sends the child, um, a camel, okay, but he's too bumpy, so I sent him back. So now we put the book down, and we are first going to start with our eyes closed and take five breathing. So we're making a transition, a conscious transition between the book and the yoga. I'm very, very um, strong about transitions for kids. In fact, you know, having agenda boards and showing them what's coming next is really important. We can talk about that a little bit later. But um, now we're going to get up. We're going to do the camel pose, which basically you're on your knees and you just support your lower back and bend back a little bit. That's how you make the hump for the camel. So we inhale back, exhale forward, inhale back, exhale forward, and we're going to come back to sit on our knees Close our eyes, breathe in through your nose and out through your nose a couple of times, right? And open your eyes and we're ready to continue the story. And then we keep reading. And now let's say we come to that giraffe. Now there is no giraffe pose in yoga. So we're going to make one up. Maybe we're going to raise our arms way over our heads tall because the, the, the giraffe has such a long neck. And maybe we're just going to side bend a little bit to the right. And maybe we're going to pretend to eat some leaves off the tree, like he's bending his neck. And then we'll come forward, and then maybe we'll bend a little to the left. So there's no such thing as the giraffe pose. That's my interpretation of what it would look like to move like a giraffe. Okay, and same thing, now we're going to close our eyes. Maybe we're in standing position now. Close our eyes, breathe in through our nose and out through our nose. We'll come back to seated and we'll continue with the story. And we'll go like that. So depending how long you want your storybook yoga lesson to go will determine how many poses you're going to do. You don't have to do one on every page if you don't want to. You can keep reading until you get to one, okay? So Um, you can modify it to fit your child's. Um, either developmental level or <laughs> their emotional level at the moment and all that. Correct. You can really tailor 100%. it, and that's so that's so nice. A hundred percent. Yeah. I was going to say, what would you say is the ideal range um, or age range, really, for um, using storybook yoga, um, the ideal age range of children? 
Well, yeah, and, and that's certainly a question that leads in from how long they can pay attention. So I <laughs> right. just wanted to just tell you what happens at the end so the audience oh, sure. can just get the vision of the whole thing, and then that's a great question. Um, so we finish the book, and we say the end, okay? And now we put down the book, and I use a bell to signal that we're done with the story, um, I actually use the bell at the beginning to let them know that now we are in this space called Storybook Yoga. And they lie down on their backs. And um, the most important pose in yoga is the resting pose, where they're just lying on their backs with their eyes closed. Maybe they have an eye pillow over their eyes. Um, maybe, you know, I'll give the kids a massage if they like to be touched. I give them a choice. Would you like me to do your feet or your hands? Would you like cream or not cream? You know, to show them that they're the boss of their bodies. And then and I might play music or I might use a rain stick or, you know, something else that I might be inspired by. I don't know. And um, when they're done, then they slowly awaken from this. We come back to sitting and we have a closing ceremony where we put our hands together, we acknowledge each other, and we say namaste, and we bow to each other. And we say, I see what's special in you, you see what's special in me, and we're all special. So, you know, and that really ends the storybook yoga session. Once we roll up our mats and put our mats away, so the beginning was rolling them out, the end is rolling them up. So that's really a storybook yoga lesson. Who is it appropriate for? (laughs) Yep. Um... I have done storybook I've practiced storybook yoga. I think when the kids are under four, it's really best to do like a mommy and me so that there's one-to-one attention for each child. Um, obviously, if you're at home, that's great. You know, you could probably even do it in a, even further modified, you know, reading a few, you know, just picking out a page or two from a book that you're reading at night, not doing the whole storybook yoga lesson, but just doing a pose when you come to a dog in the story or finishing the story and let's say, you know, let's say it was Clifford. You read about Clifford, right, and then just doing the dog pose. So you don't have to do the whole storybook yoga lesson to begin to introduce stories and yoga to kids, right? You just read a story about a dog and do the dog pose. Um, But... I would say I've done it successfully independently starting at four. So pre-K kids for sure, kindergarten kids great. As the kids get a little bit older, so, you know, first and second grade, you just pick a little bit more sophisticated stories. So, you know, chicken soup with rice, I've done with kids up to eight and nine, and they love Mm -hmm. it. Um, and one of the great things is that when you're reading these books that have repetitive refrains, the kids join in. So they really are also participating in the shared book reading. You know, they're, I'm going sipping once, sipping twice, and they all yell, sipping chicken soup with rice, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, and, and then even with older kids, you know, like I'd say, you know, young elementary school children, you can make up your own stories. So you can travel to distant lands. It's still, you know, you may not be using the book, or they may write their own book, you know, um, but it's still a story, and that's what's right. really, really nice. Yeah, that is, that is. So we we talked a little bit earlier about the physical benefits. So I wanted to bring that up again because yoga is a physical activity, and with any physical activity, we always want to be present to safety issues or safety concerns. So I'd love us to talk about that and and perhaps common 
questions parents might have regarding a child's age and how early this is safe to do and what a child's general physical skill set should be and and maybe also talking about children who might have physical limitations. Okay, so the first rule um, in practicing yoga with young kids is that you should never expect the pose to look like the adult form that you found, you know, you found in a book or you found online or that, you know, you've seen teachers do. That is rule number one. Kids should develop their own expression of the pose, and you should accept it. And over time, they will be able to change the pose and move closer and closer to the adult-like form. What's most important is that it's safe and that it's fun. So if a child is bending in a certain way and says, that hurts, back off. You know, kids, and it's really important for kids to be able to tell you, I can't do that. Well, I want to take that back. I never let kids say I can't. I tell them, how do you feel? How does this feel? Can you, can you try this? Try, so that I'll start with the simplest version of the pose, and then I'll say, kids like a challenge, by the way. Can you do this? Can you do this? You know, and, and you have to pay very, very, very close attention, okay? Because they'll tell you or they'll show you by looking at their faces, you know, that this is it. This, this is where I am today. You know, mm-hmm. and one of the things about yoga is that, very interesting, even 100-year-old gurus will not say that they, they've mastered yoga or they do yoga. They say they practice yoga. Yoga is a mm-hmm. practice. And that's really important um, concept sort of to, to understand about yoga, that, you know, you're always practicing. So you want it to be safe. So you're watching children. You're asking them, you know, um, how does this feel? You know, can you can you, you want to try it this way? If they say no, they say yes, you know, whatever. The other thing is that in yoga you can use props. <clears throat> so, for example, if you want them to bend forward and they can't reach the floor, they can bend their knees, right, so that would be an adaptation in a forward bend to get their hands down to the floor. But... You could have um, um, a little bench, you know, like the step stools that kids use to reach the sink when they're little. That could be in front of me. And I could have the bench there so that my hands don't reach the ground, but my legs stay straight, which is really what we're going for. So we can use props to help us modify the poses. Um, We can use, like, long straps or even men's ties so that if I want to... um, extend my leg in front of me, and I can't reach my foot. I can wrap the tie around my foot, and I could use the tie to raise my foot off the ground a little bit, maybe a little bit more, you know. So um, I can I can do partner poses so that maybe I'm standing behind the child and we're doing the pose together. So maybe we're going to do the tree pose together. Right, So I'm standing behind you and we both lift the same leg and I'm holding your hands, but you can rest your body on me, right? So mm-hmm. that you're, you know, right? The child's in front of me and her back is to my chest. I could have the kids use the wall, try to do a balancing pose next to the wall. Um, you know, there's so many things you could do. Oh, and, and partner pose actually is really fun. 
you know, the adult can do downward facing dog and the child could crawl underneath and be the puppy and then you could switch. So that, you know, maybe I can't do the downward dog, but I could certainly be the puppy and crawl underneath. So there's lots of different ways that you can adapt, and what's most important is to know that you can and you should, and it's fine. You are practicing yoga as long as you're saying, now breathe in through your nose and out through your nose. And right. as long and you're, as you're doing you're that, mm-hmm. you're practicing I'm practicing yoga. within the and practicing within the realm of of what you can do and never pushing it um, correct too much okay correct one of the other so, things that just in mm-hmm. terms of the physical practice i just thought of that's kind of interesting is that forward bends are calming so any time that you're um you know folding into yourself kind of like you know if you think about the fetal position right? It's a very calming position. The child's resting pose where you're sitting on your heels and your head is down to the ground. Very, very calming. When you do things that are heart opening, like if you can imagine like extending your arms to the side and opening your heart and looking up to the sky, those are very energizing. So that's an important thing to know if you want to try to regulate a child's energy. You want to bring the energy down. They're getting like a little crazy. You know, they're having a little bit too much fun and you can't finish the story. But, you know, put them back down in child's pose. Child's pose is a great transition, you know, (laughs) to to then collect, calm, be ready to learn again. Right, right. Those are good points. And we don't have the time to address all that um, here, but I like that you brought those up, how some poses can help energize a child, some poses could help calm them, and so the more we know about yoga, the more, I guess, strategically we can use it. Um, so that's that's good to know. We'll have to save that for another episode. Um, okay. I'd like to talk a little bit more. So we talked about how we could um, accommodate children who might have some physical limitations. What about adapting storybook yoga for children with special needs, like a communication uh, or speech language delay, or who might have um, be on the autism spectrum, what or a similar uh, developmental challenge? What could we do about adapting it uh, for those those populations of children? Okay, so so there's a few key elements here. One is getting and keeping their attention, and the other is making the information accessible so they understand it. Right. So obviously, we want to use all of the strategies we talked about with using, uh, you know, creating a nice environment. So music, lighting, uncluttered space, the mat, breathing, right? All of that's going to help me start getting their attention. I um, also am going to use a schedule board so the kids can see the sequence of activities. You know, first we're going to breathe, then we're going to do the book song, then we're going to read, and, you know, maybe even I'm going to have it broken down, and we're going to do the camel pose, we're going to do the dog pose, we're going to do the the snake pose, you know. Um, so just, I'm gonna sh- uh, Susie, if I can jump in for one second. So just so that's clear, um, so you would have a picture chronologically of every activity that the children would see that would help. Absolutely. Um, the pictures right. are great. They don't have to have the words on it. If, you know, you want to put the word of the, you know, the name of the animal on it, that's great to help kids get ready for literacy, just to see the difference between a picture and a word, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to use bells to transition. 
I use the breathing to transition. So all of these things are helping create an environment where kids who have more challenges can succeed. Um, I also... Um, I, I also will explain and demonstrate. For example, the, the sun dance is also a vinyasa. It's poses that are linked together. So you inhale and you raise your arms up over your head. You're standing tall. And you exhale and you swan dive down, and now you're touching the floor. So that's a lot of language, right? It's too much right. language, and it actually keeps going. <laughs> So I might not do all the components of the Sundance. I might just come back up to standing after that instead of some of the other uh, subsequent steps. So I might shorten it. I'm going to demonstrate. I'm going to show. I'm going to use pictures. I'm going to explain. Um, I'm going to read their faces once again and watch what they're doing to know whether or not they're understanding or they're not understanding. For a child with autism, I'm going to respect her need to not be touched or to be touched, whatever it is. So it's right. a lot about respect and awareness on our part, paying attention to the kids and what the kids are showing you to know what you need to do to help make it more accessible. Okay, great. Now, you, you did mention this at one point before about children enjoying it, so let's Let's expand on that topic of feedback that you've gotten, both from adults and from children. Would you mention some of that for us? So um, I have been teaching storybook yoga at the Early Learning Center at the university where I work at Adelphi in their preschool. And um, I can tell you that every time we offer it, it is extremely popular to the point where we had to have two groups the last time I offered it, I had to bring somebody else in to do the other group because it was just so many children. I like to keep it mm -hmm. to about eight children. Um, right. I know the parents tell me that the kids come home and they want to teach storybook yoga to the parents or to their siblings or to their stuffed animals right. so that I know that it's really resonating for them because they're bringing it home. I will tell you also that I have older children. We have older children in the Speech and Hearing Center at the university, and we started teaching yoga to them um, as a way of getting ready to learn. These are teens and tweens who have either spectrum disorders, um, attention deficit disorders, uh, just who are socially kind of awkward kids, and um, their parents, we say the word yoga, and we, they want in. So it's really, um, I think that the word is getting out, that yoga has these potential benefits, and parents really, really want their kids um, to be involved. And I just had an undergraduate senior stop into my office, and he revealed that he um, had a significant seizure disorder in high school, and he has some problems with memory and attention, and would I teach him? So, um, you know, the feedback really is very positive in terms of parents wanting it and parents being delighted with how the kids are learning to practice and what they're doing and what they're learning. So, Yeah, I have to admit, I just wrote a note to myself that said, buy Storybook Yoga CD. Um, <laughs> <laughs> part of the, I'm a speech-language pathologist also. I run the, um, the speech and hearing clinic in the speech pathology program at Marymount Manhattan College. 
and we have children, we have adults, and um, as we're talking and and I'm learning more and more, I just am seeing so clearly how wonderful um, this approach is and um, how beneficial it is. And um, there's a lot of science that seems to be backing it up strongly. So, um, like I said, I just wrote a note to um, myself to buy this for our clinic here at Marymount Manhattan. And, um, yeah, this is great. And um, it's very encouraging to hear, I think, especially what's so powerful is how the children are going home and they're Mm -hmm. trying to teach their parents and maybe other siblings about it. That I think that's probably one of the most powerful um, testimonials of sorts that you could get. Actually, there's a great story to follow that up, and that is that um, so one semester I had a group of kindergarten kids, and um, they use an approach at the Early Learning Center called Reggio Emilia where it's, it's the kids identify a problem, and then they spend months solving the problem. Okay, And so the problem that semester was that it wasn't fair that only the five-year-olds had storybook yoga. The five-year-olds wanted the four-year-olds to have storybook yoga. <laughs> and so they spent an entire semester having meetings. Okay, what book are we going to choose? What poses are we going to do? What music are we going to use? What, um, you know, like who let the dogs out for the dog pose? <laughs> what um you know what what um what are we going to do during the relaxing time who's going to give the massages who's going to read the book who it was incredible and what they did was they invited me back after they had worked on this for months and they implemented this lesson for the 4 year olds it was the most incredible thing i ever saw the 5 year olds teaching the 4 year olds how to do storybook yoga and it was organized and it was so well executed, and the kids were all paying attention. It was crazy. It was really, really (laughs) crazy. And I'll tell you, they didn't have the storybook yoga CD, so they didn't have, for example, a pig song. By the way, on the CD, the pig song is a rap. It's hilarious. It's the three pigs rap. Or they didn't have, you know, um, a cat song. So they were doing it all themselves. And they didn't have the narration over the music, which is what's on the CD. Mm-hmm. And they didn't have the manual that goes with the CD that tells you how to do a storybook yoga lesson. So all of that was written for them. They didn't have that. They just had their experience with me. Right. It was amazing. Right. That is. That is amazing. That's a really um it's a beautiful idea, and it's a beautiful thing that came to fruition. And um, yeah, that's it's um, it's what it should be. <laughs> um, they really it shows how far the lessons from storybook yoga can go. Yeah, yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. So maybe you can talk to us a little bit about um, other projects that you're working on. You you're involved in many wonderful things, and maybe share with the audience what you're doing and how they could get in touch with you if they were interested in participating with you. Okay, so first, I am most easily reached by email, my last name, letterer, L-E-D-E-R-E-R, at Adelphi, A-D-E-L-P-H-I dot E-D-U. That's the easiest way to reach me. And what I want to tell the listeners is that um, in the Speech and Hearing Center at Adelphi, we have 
mommy and me or grown-up and me groups for late-talking toddlers. We have me-alone groups, so we have Tot Talk and Kid Talk, which I developed. We have Pre-Read, which is a jumpstart literacy group. We have groups for social communication skills, Friends Talk, Tween Talk, and Teen Talk for kids that have social communication issues. So I just want you to know that those are available on Long Island. Um, if that's something that interests you, please reach out, um, and I'd be happy to guide you to the director of our Speech and Hearing Center. Um, from my own personal um, work, I am in the process of reissuing my children's books that are designed to help kids learn to talk and play and read. And they come from that same read-with perspective, so there's baby signs involved. If kids aren't ready to talk, they can make the signs for some of the um, the verbs that they're learning, like eat and drink. Um, I'm also um, in the process of teaching yoga to these tweens that I mentioned earlier and doing a little bit of research to see whether or not we are seeing changes in their ability to pay attention. Um, we did have one 11-year-old who actually agreed to have her brain scanned, and we saw differences in her brain. She has, she has ADHD, and we saw changes in the wave that measures attention mm -hmm. um, between pre- and post-yoga. So that was really, really exciting. Um, I speak all over the country when I'm invited on topics such as pretend play, literacy, early language learning, first words, storybook yoga. Um, I'm happy to do workshops for any organizations that want me to teach your teachers. I just did, I just did one at um, a preschool program in the Bronx for kids with disabilities um, on how to, to introduce storybook yoga and why to um, classroom teachers and teacher assistants so that they can embed it into their curriculum. Um, I don't know. There's lots of cool things going on. <laughs> there is. Oh, yeah. And what I've done is on the the Blog Talk Radio site for the show, and I will also put this on our kidsa2z.com website, the links to your Delphi University site and to your own personal website so people will be able to also go there quickly um, and access that information to see what you're doing and how they can contact you. Thank you. That's great. I'm happy to hear from anybody that has questions or just is a, a kindred spirit and wants to chat more <laughs> about this. Good, good. So now we're coming to the close of the show, and we always end by asking our guests to share their five fantastic facts for families. So sharing your favorite advice, uh, for families on um, based on your expertise. What can you share with us today? Okay, so I want to go back to that one sort of focus statement that I mentioned at the beginning, which is really noticing the difference between reading to children and reading with children and um, really trying to make this the priority when you're reading. So first and foremost is to engender a love for reading with kids. So read books about reading. For example, Reading Makes You Feel Good, which is another Tard Parr book that I love. Okay? And, and to talk about the reading experience, use words like title and author and illustrator, you know, to teach about the reading process. And if kids want to read the same book over and over, 
it's okay. They actually like hearing the books many more times than we do, you know. So it's okay. Let them pick the same books over and over. That's great. But when you get to choose the books, try to choose books that are interactive. So we mentioned Lift the Flap books and Pat the Bunny and From Head to Toe. And when you can introduce a yoga pose or two, that would be great. You know, that would be terrific. So try to get the kids to move through the stories. Um, Stories about songs that have hand movements, like Five Little Monkeys, you know, where they're moving through the story. That's great, too. Um, To make it an experiential activity the way that um, NACI, N-A-E-Y-C, suggests, okay? Now, I want to mention mm-hmm. something about iPad books because you're going to say, oh, they're interactive, right? And the answer is yes, they are interactive. So you're reading a story on an iPad book and, you know, the kids get to press different um, icons on the book and then something happens. What I want the audience to know is that the research regarding iPad books says that using them to help kids learn new vocabulary words is good. But it's not good for helping kids learn and practice story comprehension because you lose track of the story. That's the exact same reason why I said for storybook yoga, don't pick storybooks, pick picture books that have these sort of repetitive kind of um, text. So it's the same thing with the iPad books. They're okay for vocabulary, they're okay for being interactive, but they're not okay for story comprehension. So just to kind of keep that in mind. And um, because when you're reading, you're also nurturing literacy skills, you can choose books that rhyme, Um, you can ask questions about the story, you can let kids anticipate what's going to happen next, You can generalize what's happening in the story to their own life. These are all early literacy skills that we know are research-based and help kids get ready to read. But the most, most, most important tip is to have fun. That's it. You know, if you're having fun, then learning just happens naturally, and there's nothing better than that. And the joy of reading together and having that special time together is is just paramount and you know I'm I'm sitting here telling you this and I'm saying my son's 23 you know <laughs> and I still remember those times of sitting in the rocking chair together and reading and um you know and and at least now I still get to have that joy with young kids because of the Tot Talk program and the Kid Talk program and the pre-read program where we are you know sharing book reading with with young children so right um, that's my final message. Great. Well, that is that's all very helpful, very useful information. I'm so encouraged by the idea of storybook yoga and really hoping that parents and school systems actually embrace it and start to use it more across the lifespan. Um, but it's, yeah, yeah. I think but especially those early years are so critical. It's really setting an important um foundation. So I wanted to thank everyone for listening. Um, again, as always, if you have questions that you'd like us to address on the show, if you have feedback you'd like to share, feel free always to email us at info at kidsa-to-z.com. That's info at kidsa-to-z.com. And I want to finally, again, thank our guest, Dr. Susie Letterer, for all her really great information And uh, we will hopefully see you in the next week. And that's it for today. I hope everyone has a great day.
Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.